You are listening to Takedowns to Breakdowns. There we go. It's official. We have our own podcast. Long time in the making, for sure. Long time in the making, exactly. It took us a while to get here, especially with everything that went on most recently with the storm in our area, knocking down trees and power lines and all this other yeah, shit. Yeah, brutal. But, but we're here. We are post UFC 224, post UFC drama. I actually, and I think I texted you this, I actually posted an article about this exact situation where it's after a UFC event. I posted an article on the takedowns to breakdowns.wordpress.com site, and it was about like after a UFC event, I was just so happy that there was no drama. Yeah. It was just, these were good fights. <laughs> there were finishes. There were good decisions, good back and forths. We were happy. Nobody was upset about anything. It was just a good night of fights. It was just a good night. And then and that that's a perfect example of how rare it is because of what happened uh like most recently on Saturday at UFC 224, you know? Yeah. With uh, with all the drama, with everything, with the the weight and the finish and coaching and all this other stuff. So let's let, let's go right into it. I know we haven't posted an episode about this in quite some time as we were transitioning from the Enough About You podcast to the Takedowns to Breakdowns podcast. So if any listeners are from the Enough About You podcast, thanks for jumping in on here. To follow along with uh, Mikey Microscopics and I. Appreciate it. As we stick around with MMA stuff. But uh, for those who don't know, although I'm sure if you listen to this, you probably have an idea about the amount of drama that went down with the main fight, the bantamweight title fight between Raquel Pennington and Amanda Nunez between the fourth and fifth rounds. So for those who don't know, Raquel Pennington got the shit kicked out of her for four rounds. And I mean... Busted up, busted lip, swollen eye, bleeding, probably broken nose, just getting slammed all over the map by Amanda. Just mm-hmm. Amanda beat the shit out of her. Nothing, to, and that's not to take away anything from Raquel's abilities, but it's just to go to show what I'm setting up for what happened in, uh, in Raquel's corner between the fourth and the fifth. That was a situation where I, A, I've never been in. So, you know, and you've never been in that situation either. That right. exact situation in a cage yeah. with a corner and coaches. But um, anyways, so Raquel comes back in the fourth, uh, end of the fourth, going into the fifth. And she sits on the stool. And her coaching staff crowds around her to, get, like, try to talk to her and find out what they can do in the fifth. And all Raquel said, and the mics picked up on this, she goes, I'm done. And the coaching staff was quiet for, like, a split second, like, wait, what? She was like, I'm done. And then she got up, turned around, faced all the other coaches outside. It was just, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't, I'm done with this. Which you don't see often. You know, you I mean, not even just within the UFC, just MMA, professional MMA history, you know, where the, a fighter is just like, I, I can't be here right now. Yeah. That was something that I thought was really unique with how um, the Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor fight went down yeah. when Conor McGregor was stopped. And Conor McGregor was saying, he didn't stop me. The ref stopped it because he thought I was too tired. But it happens. I get tired and then I rally. And Conor was, kept saying, this is just what happens in fighting. I get tired, but then I come back. Yeah. He should give me the opportunity to come back. And Floyd kept telling him, like, look, you MMA guys don't understand. You go out on your shield, which I understand is the honorable thing to do. 
but this is an entertainment business and people want to watch you fight. We want, we want you to have a career. The ref's in there saving your career. We don't want to see you take more damage for no reason. So that is a weird, you're right. That's very weird to hear in MMA because in MMA, the mentality is so like, don't tap, let them break the arm and shit. Like, it's just, it's really weird how, how, how prevalent that is. Yeah. To just, no, rip my arm off, break my ankle, choke me unconscious, knock me out. Like, you know, fuck me up. <laughs> now, in your perspective, like, so do you think, and I'm asking your opinion only because I actually watched a follow-up interview with her. Um, do you think she regrets that decision, like her saying that? Going out? No. I mean, uh, and for the record for those, because we kind of just skipped it, sorry. But the the end surprise of that is is her coaching staff just said, you got to go back out there. Yeah, just go back out there. Give it all you got. We gotta, we gotta go like, all out. This is out. the championship. This fight, is it. Like. There is no giving up. You gotta just go for it. And she kept saying like, I just, I'm done. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And the exact quote I think was, uh, "We can rest later. Now is not the time to rest." Yeah. Yeah. I. <laughs> so there, there's two notions to this one, and it, this divided a lot in MMA, saying one side being we don't know the coaching staff. We don't know the relationship between the coaching staff and Raquel Pennington. We don't know their relationship. And that's very true. We don't know if maybe this is something she always does where she always just like mentally gives up, but physically she can continue. So her coaching staff knows they can push her. We don't know if maybe they were on the wrong page and the coaching staff, were they just didn't know what to say. So they just said, you need to go back out there. I would say regardless of how well the coaching staff and Raquel Pennington are, even though Raquel did come out eventually uh, with her own statement saying i'm glad my coaches told me to do that because yeah i would have regretted it yeah i don't like the fact that she got no technical advice she was just sent out to die in her shield like uh, i agree yeah. it's almost like the coaching staff should have said but you will die with honor in the fifth and yeah. that would have been the exact same <laughs> outcome like there was nothing there was nothing constructive if they said look you can't slip her punches. She's punching you too well, and then she knows you're going to go for a takedown. Circle on the outside. Try to go for the legs, or you know what I mean, like like just something. Just yeah. throw some, or or just you know like just fight for the clinch. Switch around. Try to try to maintain hip control. Push her against the fence, and just keep it in the clinch all for this entire round. Land those knees. Let's see some elbows. We got to see you cut her up. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure this was her first uh, five attempt round. at a five round. Yes. I and think so. so I think, although they probably didn't mean it, then again, we don't know her own coaching team. I think it was just trying to motivate her. Like, listen, like, I know you want to give up, but, like, this is your one and only chance. Like, you still can make it, you know. Um, But from when I was looking into it, I guess she had taken one or two kicks to the shin in the spot that she had previously broken. Yes. So I guess she was saying as soon as she came back up, tried to stand up, she felt it. And the entire, uh, like, 20 minutes or whatever, it there was just pain in that leg. And, of course, her nose got cut up. And, um, and I think that's what it was. It was just excruciating pain and... Yeah, it was the yeah. body wanting to give up. Yes. Right? Yeah. It was the body saying, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um... 
So 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 let's get it out. Let, let's let's put it out on the table now that everybody listening knows the situation. Let's put it on the table. Do you agree or disagree with the coach's decision to send her out there the way they did? Not the way they did. I okay. disagree. I disagree with the way they did it. Yes. Okay. But I agree with you when you say they definitely could have given her some sort of motivation, you know, or, or have been more strategic about it, you know, given her yes. a tactic to use. I mean, e- even if there has to be some, so, and, and I don't mean to, to chastise her coaching staff or her fight team, but if you are in a situation in a championship fight and you have no answers and you've been preparing for this fight for how many months? Let's just say three to four, three to three yeah. to five months. You've been preparing for this, mm-hmm. and you don't have any answers now that you're finally like three to four rounds in. She wasn't just getting messed up in one round; she was getting outclassed in every round. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm not surprised. Amanda Nunez is a special talent. Um, she's, I think, the most fearsome striker besides uh, Chris Cyborg. She's got so much. She's also probably the most powerful behind Chris Cyborg. Yeah, I think also she has such. Pure strength and tenacity when it comes to her wrestling game and her jujitsu, but I think you got to say, regardless of how she got sent back out there, the fact that for five rounds you had no answers to your fighter. Yeah, exactly. Because even 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 if every plan you had five plans and plan one through five all failed for your fighter in this championship fight, you should never be in a position. In my opinion, you should never be in a position where you have to look your fighter in the eye and just say, "I don't know. You gotta just keep bleeding. Just, just may- maybe she'll get tired of seeing blood. I don't know." Oh, and like, I do. Like- I do <laughs> want to point out too, like her coaches knew that she had injured her leg. On top of that, and they knew where she was injured, so they were aware of that injury upon the remainder of the four or five rounds. I mean, you, they and should- they just kept sending her out there. They should have had. I know I don't know what they said in between rounds one through four to Raquel. I don't know what they were saying to her before then, but I just don't like the fact that they, if they basically just if they just said poopity scoop, scoopity doopity doop. I'm sorry, I just heard that song on the radio on the way here. Yes, okay. <laughs> if she, if they said that, yeah, it's the same thing of what they said of just like we can rest later. Yeah, poopity scoop. Scoopity doop, scoopity doopity doop, poopity scoop. Same thing. Same yeah. same thing. She would have just walked out in the fifth and gotten, gotten mauled the way she did. You should have answers on some level in fight in order to critique your fighter. Yeah. I mean, okay, you can criticize me all you want as not being an MMA coach or or not being, you know, an amateur fighter. But I, I would say I think it's if you look at the greatest fighters – if you look at the top fighters of their class, they have answers with their coaching staff. And if they don't, guess what? They leave. Yeah. But also, how many people leave? Not many. Most fighters are known for staying at the camps because they have good coaching. Like the AKA team, that hasn't really changed. Team Alpha Male, besides the TJ Dillashaw shit, that hasn't really changed with right. the fighters leaving to go find somebody else. TriStar, that hasn't changed. Alliance, that hasn't changed. Like seriously, look. If you look at the top fighters of each division, they they trust in their coaching staff and they stay there. Rose Namajunas, she's been she's been at elevation her entire career, and that look where it got her got her championship. Yeah, I mean, 
I think it would. I think I. I think Raquel was done wrong by her coaching staff, and if I were her, I would say maybe it's time to find a different coaching staff. That I'm sure they're great people, and I'm sure they have a close relationship. But a close relationship doesn't mean you have the technical ability to break down and critique and alter game plans going into the fifth round of a championship. Fight. I, I think mentally, the coaches themselves were just way too excited at the fact that they had made it at their chance to getting the title. Uh, that uh, that's the only thing I could think that's of, and think? maybe they were just pushing her too hard because they really wanted her to get it. But in reality, they were doing her wrong. I mean, we could flip the coin and be real negative and just say they knew that she couldn't win, and they didn't know what else to say. But now, although at that point, I would have said, "Do you want to throw in the towel?" Yeah. <laughs> now, have they acted like this in other fights, though? No. No, and I mean, I don't think it happens very often. I think even, I mean, I've heard stories of fighters who say this, like Misha Tate, infant, I mean, don't get me wrong, she retired the exact same fight, but before she stepped in the cage, she just went, or she right, right before the fight started, she turned to her coaching staff and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and, and they were all, um, excuse me? Um, let's talk about it after. You're about to fight in two minutes. Let's just... Yeah. Focus on this and we can talk about how you don't want to do this. And then she lost. Then she said, nah, I'm retiring. I'm done. In her post-fight speech. So, I mean, no. For Raquel specifically, this is not a traditional mm. or an expe- or, or expectation to, to have of her or her coaching staff. Mm. Not that I, I... For the record, which I really like is that everybody understands and nobody holds it against Raquel Pennington for saying that. I think everybody's just mad at their coaching staff for saying, you know... Um, oh yeah just we'll we'll be tired later go back out there give it all you got it's like oh i'm sorry was she not giving it all she got for the for the first four rounds of this fight for the first 20 minutes was she just putzing around no you know and and, and i think that's what that's what gets me as Mm. as the huge shocker here that's what really throws me off of just you you can't be doing that At, at the biggest stage the number one fight promotion for a championship title, you can't be saying that. Right. I feel. Like you would never hear like you might hear that in a close fight. If they were close, you hear that. They're back and forth, going in the fifth, who knows who's gonna take it. And it's just, look, you gotta just dig deep. You gotta you gotta drown this person. You gotta drown them. Just come out and just just overwhelm them, just give it everything you got. We we're half and half here. We're fifty fifty on the cards. We we gotta get this. Just go out there and just give it everything you have. There's nothing left on the table. There is no tomorrow. Five minutes and you're champion. We hear that a lot when the fights are close. When it's an ass whooping, when you're getting molly whopped for four rounds, you don't hear that. Yeah. So that's, or you hear that from bad coaches. Mm-hmm. I think you hear that from, from poor coaching staffs. Well, hopefully she, you know, when she fully recovers, she'll take the time to just take a mental break and really rethink her situation. So, yeah, that's just, ugh, ugh. Anyways, um, talking about the same fight card, the other big thing was the Mackenzie Dern and Amanda Cooper situation. Mm-hmm. That was, so for those listening, we're not going to go through all, like, the wins and losses and what that yeah. means. We're just going through the, the controversy of, uh, the controversy of UFC, uh, 224 on Saturday, May 12th that happened. So Mackenzie Dern, for those who don't know, is the daughter of a, a very prestigious Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. And she herself is a very prestigious Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. She's uh, 
she, she's a Jacare Souza. She's a female Damian Maya. She's she's a killer on the ground. She has the knockout punch and grappling, mm-hmm. where she grabs a limb and she's got it and you're done. It's she she's ferocious when it comes to her submissions. So the big thing though is that she's missed weight for twice, her, I believe. Right? I think it's th- I think this was their third or fourth time. Oh wow! Weight. Okay. Nothing as big as this. So here's the here's where this one's crazy. She weighed in for the fight. Waiting for her fight, seven pounds over. Yeah. Now, for those say, saying seven pounds is a whatever, to put it in perspective, the normal range people weigh in heavy is half a pound to maybe a pound. Yeah. It went, and that's like a <gasps> something that they make burn weight. within a couple hours, come back, and it's like they they make weight. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And they, I think they're given like like two hours or three hours or something to lose the final pound and they can make it. So to come in seven pounds pissed off a lot of people. It pissed off a lot of people, um, not just fans, not just analysts, but fighters and her opponent, Amanda Cooper was pissed. She was saying she was, she was like Mackenzie Dern came in seven pounds over. Do you even give a shit about this fight? Do you even care? Dominic Cruz on uh, UFC Fox, uh, UFC on Fox, he was saying uh, that's cheating. You coming in seven pounds, you can, you know you can't cut that weight. She has the advantage, absolutely. Yeah, and you're coming in that heavy, you know you're coming in just just with that weight advantage. Yeah, you, you're not coming in cutting weight and being dehydrated. You're fully hydrated. You're, you're fucking heavy as hell. You're gonna be fine. Um, I actually tweeted uh, Jesse Rose Clark who's a, a UFC fighter. And she responded. I said, have you, I said, would you be this pissed? Like if this was you and your opponent weighed in in double digits. And she was saying, look, I've had people weigh in anywhere from two to 12 pounds over against me. And it fucking sucks. It fucking sucks because, and I get that it's out of their control. Right. It's their opponent who's supposed to be a professional and come in and get ready. Um, so, so Mackenzie Dern won. She rocked Amanda Cooper, and then she jumped on top and got a submission finish. I think it was a rear naked choke. But the big controversy is, why are you... Like, like you won, and you came in seven pounds over. Now, don't get me wrong. Amanda Cooper is not some, you know, knockout pers- knockout fighter who's, you know, really hard to beat. I mean, she doesn't have a good record. Uh, her striking is a little unrefined. Her, her wrestling is a little weak. But still, I would, expected, I would have expected something a little bit more competitive, I think, if McKenzie had to cut weight and dehydrate to the same level Amanda sure. did. Yeah. And the fact that she didn't kind of sucks. Um it's yeah, it's it's when I heard when I saw on Twitter that she weighed in at seven pounds over, I was just oh the fight's off. Like there's no way they're gonna do this. There's no way they're gonna fight this, right? Yeah. Well then it becomes what what do they call it? Catch weight. And uh from an article I was reading, I guess it it affected her pay um, she gives up a percentage of her pay and her win if she wins. I think it was like a yeah, it was like maybe ten percent extra. Ten thirty thirty percent off her purse, I think. Yeah, something like that. And then like ten percent if she wins. Yes, but she still made off with like more money. Oh yeah, because yeah. she won, which is so, fucking yeah. So I wanted to bring up this point of weight classes now. Not so much weight class in UFC rankings. I mean weight class in the sense of fighting. Now, we've touched base before on other episodes, especially the earlier episodes that are could be that can be found on Enough About You, the Enough About You podcast. But just to just to bring it back up to refresh it, 
I'm very small. I weigh like 130, maybe 135 if I'm eating a lot of carbs. And <laughs> I've always fought above my weight class. And it is hard because you can't outmuscle people. And it's the natural reaction to try to outmuscle somebody, right. to expend your energy because you're fighting a, a heavy object. Mm -hmm. So it's almost natural. And it's hard because it's a mental thing to say, oh, I can't outmuscle this person. I need to find technique. But since you're way bigger than me, I know you touched base on it a little bit, but I wanted to get your opinion of fighting somebody who's heavier than you. Okay. Because you're a lot you're a lot bigger than me. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah, in, in more ways than one. Uh, <laughs> I well, I, okay, tall. I mean, I'm 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 definitely a few inches taller. Uh, weight wise, yeah, big time. Um, weight wise is where it's. Been. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, it kind of just. Uh, goes back to the whole jujitsu conversation right or, or I, I should say the whole ike thing where uh you know because i mean i was going up against guys like jay you know who was just like i mean we were probably the same in weight but i mean he was just way taller you know he's probably like way past six feet six two or something like that i think it was six say. one six two yeah yeah so I was kind of in that same situation where with him, it was just brawn. And my first thing is when I first started those classes was I got out muscle this guy because, you know, but again, with the whole theory behind Ike, it was like, oh, no, you can be small and take down this Goliath, you know, with the judo and throws and everything. Absolutely. Use their energy against them. So. I never I never asked you about what it was like training with him because with me he has to hold back because he'll break me if we train mm. if he goes like closer to his full level um especially because at that time i was really low ranked but yeah. i mean so with me he had to be more gentle with yeah. you he probably didn't have to be as gentle no not at all and that's why i always got paired up with him and jay um <laughs> yeah no they went full for force definitely well more jay uh um, than dylan yeah, yeah. Yep. No, J D Dylan was just very fluid, and he was definitely more uh, forgiving. Uh, no, but with Jay, though, yeah, I mean, just those powerhouse kicks he did. I I'll never forget when he uh, punched me in the stomach. I literally fell to my knees to the floor, and he was just like, I didn't even mean to. Like, that was like 50% of my power. I was like, oh, my God. Because <laughs> I never um, asked you, because I'd be paired off on the other side oh, of the Oh, yeah, mat. no, I was terrified. I pissed my pants every Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then like, after class, I never. I was always thinking of asking you, Oh, how was it with Jay? But I never asked. I was just, oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, like I said, him and I, back then, we probably weighed around the same, although there's a huge height uh, disadvantage for me. Uh, but, oh, yeah, he would toss me around like a rag doll, and, yeah, all of his, uh, uh, what are they called? Uh, Wrist locks? Yeah, you no, know, but what's the term used in uh, Ike? Which one? Uh, you talking about like locks when you when throws? we're when we're kneeling facing each Sorry other. Waza. Sorry, Wazas. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just a child's play thing for him. <laughs> but I mean, I I'll tell you what it was like. It was like how I felt training with Gina. I like I finally understood like when her and I would train before it was just you you two training. Yeah, I understood what she went through with me. If that makes any sense. Yes. Because so she's even able, smaller. You were able to empathize with her position of Absolutely. having to fight somebody bigger. Absolutely. Right. You know, yeah. and it, it really, like, I, I, it made me see, you know. You never felt that with me. 
Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Especially that one day you had me work out for fucking like six hours. <laughs> all right. And <laughs> I'm just going to say, I think I've said this before. That Matt's one day. of those guys where you, you just can't judge a book by its cover because he, you see like this, you know, scrawny looking guy, you know, five, five or whatever. And uh, yeah, no, he no. There were times you kicked my ass, too. Um, you have some hidden strength, man. I don't know where it comes from, but yeah, I'll, I'll never forget trying to attempt tug of war with you with the battle ropes. Um, I was like, oh, my God, it's like <laughs> there's like three of you right now. Um, no, I remember that was, you. That was a fun game. Yeah, I remember doing locks with you and you. I think we were doing uh, arm bars and you like popped my elbow. I was like, oh, my God. Like and you're like, oh, gee, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, it, I didn't mean to. Yeah, no, no. But I mean, that's also from you training, like just hardcore dedicated to training, you know, what like every day every other day you're doing something at the time oh i mean now yes i'm still doing something but it's funny because at that time i was all about getting bigger and stronger right and then i hit a level where i was just my body's breaking down and i cannot go further off of natural substances yeah and i was and i was thinking to myself i'm not doing anything unnatural and then i was just thinking look i need to just optimize what i'm doing for myself and I just realized, uh, and I talked about it on a podcast, on an episode with enough about you and Johnny. Um, it's called sink or swim, and you got a taste of it when we didn't just train martial arts that day. We did actual workouts. Mm-hmm. It was just you got to drown. Mm-hmm. You got to drown because if I can't, and I, I learned that I was just if I I know I can't, I I cannot outmuscle you. I can outwork you though, and I can make you work for it. And I can drown you in, in just the cardio of it. I can mm-hmm. I know I will last longer than you if I just pour it on. And that's when I started switching up my workouts to be like, oh, no, I just got to be able to just pump through this for I just got to be able to wreck this shit. I just got to redline it and just be able to take it. Yeah. And just go, 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 go. And remember when we started doing battle ropes and it was just like, cool, we're just like after doing all the weights. Yeah, it was just cool. And I'm just going to do battle ropes for a little bit. And it was just go, 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 switch. Go, 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 switch. Yeah. Go, go, go. Yeah. That's, that drowning. High intensity, just, like, yeah. Just, that's, so, sorry, we kind of went off tangent. But, like, the big roundabout of it is just, I feel like there's, there's that level of the higher weight class will always have the power. Mm-hmm. Somebody heavier always has the muscle. Always. Always. I think it comes down to kind of what we've been taught, right? In traditional martial arts, which is you need to you need to specialize in what you're good at. So for me it's always been the speed and cardio side. It's kind of just you gotta last longer and you gotta be faster. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna unmuscle you. I gotta be quick enough to lock in a technique. That's it. Yeah. I just gotta go, go that's it. That's it. But then you have somebody like jay or somebody like you where it's kind of more just no you can probably just punch through their guard it's it's just <laughs> just line it up and just rip it just rip those shots because yeah. you even if you hit their guard they'll feel it we don't wear pads we're not doing a sport just rip right through their guards they're gonna you're gonna break their arm before you know mm-hmm. just go for it and just land those kicks um and yeah i, th- I think that's 
again, long story short, I think that was a huge advantage for Mackenzie Dern. I know nobody wants to hear, especially Amanda Cooper, especially Mackenzie Dern. But guess what? I think those seven pounds gave you a lot. You didn't have to worry oh, about de- time. dehydrating your body. You didn't have to sit in a sauna and try to like exercise off all the water weight. You didn't have to change your diet. Clearly, you didn't really do much to your diet. Yeah, Clearly, no. you were eating Taco Bell. I mean... Oh, it looked it. It looked it out <laughs> it there, looked yeah. It. Yeah, it's like you didn't cut carbs. You didn't cut your calorie intake. Your total daily energy expenditure didn't matter to you. You just kept eating and doing whatever. And a part of that kind of sucks because it, it doesn't seem professional. I expect that from a professional fighter. I don't expect that from somebody that I train with at a dojo or, or at a gym. I, don't ex- I mean, I would hopefully see that, but... So that was disappointing to me. That was disappointing to me on that end. Mm. Um, with that being said, I think if Mackenzie Dern fully cut weight and made weight, I still don't think Amanda Cooper beats her. That was also a crazy thing that Mackenzie Dern landed her striking. She hit an overhand right, I believe, knocked down Amanda Cooper, and then she jumped up for ground and pound, and then she transitioned into uh, into rear position for a rear naked choke. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was... Yeah, yeah. But speaking of training, especially with with uh, with partners with you know who are stronger, bigger, anything like that. Uh, Darren Till. Is, oh yes, is a is a very good Muay Thai fighter from Liverpool, England, and he posted a video on his Instagram recently, about probably two weeks ago, maybe a week ago. Like everybody in MMA, all all tizzied up, and it's basically him. Beating the shit out of his sparring partner. Like, they're just no headgear, gloves on, in the cage, probably doing five fives or whatever. And he lights his partner up. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's like movie-style combo where he does... He hits his he hits his partner. His partner is a little dazed. Comes flying with, like, a left hook. Puts the guy on the ground. Yeah. Next clip, he's punching the guy back into the cage. And then he unloads, like, an 8 to 12 punch flurry. Yeah, to the body, to the head. They all land. He's going body... He's doing body shots, liver shots, yeah. side of the head, body, back to the head. And he just lights him up with just... A flurry combo, <laughs> and that also puts him down. And people are, and so everybody freaked out, saying, "What the fuck training is this? Yeah. This is not responsible training. Is yep. not respectful training? Is who did you pay to get in there, or what schmuck did you lie to to get in there to fight you? Because you you're, you're giving him brain trauma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> possibly more. Absolutely, possibly more. But based on how heavy you were hitting him in the body, um, don't get me wrong. They were wearing pillows, right? They had like boxing gloves on, but for those who've never been hit with intent, even with gloves on, let me tell like big, heavy, even if they were 16-ounce gloves, mm. f- fucking trust me, you feel it. Oh, yeah. You feel it. Your brain doesn't know the difference of of, of a 16-ounce glove or a raw fist. Mm. The brain still is going to get sloshed around a bit. Yep. So I want to get your opinion because you saw that video, right? I, I saw that and there was another video. Yeah, I think I want to say there was two videos. Yeah. And there was another guy... Uh, he was training with outside of the cage, but yeah. Um, oh, the boxing ring. Yes. And he got lit up. Oh, yeah. He got caught. Yeah. Yeah, so Darren Till responded because everybody <clears throat> freaked out at him, and he posted a second video of him getting tagged. Not the same way, but like he caught like a like a left straight and a right uppercut, but like yeah. not the same level of he wasn't dazed. He just shook it off, smiled, and like nodded his head and kept going. Very different than a guy trying to like a guy sh- – turtling and shielding up against the cage cowering and trying mm. to protect himself and darren till's just 
fucking him up. Here's here's my question, right? It's like, okay, first off, were those videos staged? I mean, clearly those guys were getting the shit kicked out of them. That that's not fake. But I don't like, think they were staged. My thing was, were those just random people he was sparring with, or were they people from his team? So that's the thing I, we, nobody knows, because he never answered that. So right. I guess the people uncovered that the guy he was training with was a karate champion from South Africa. Was this the guy in the black shirt, the first video, the, the famous video, I should say? No. What no, are you talking to? Um, this is the guy who had the shit kicked out of him in, in the two clips. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, he, he had a black shirt on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was him getting uh, lit up. Okay. Yeah. Um, people were saying, oh, he's some karate champion from South Africa. And then they tried to find him, and everybody was just saying, no, he's. we don't know who this person is. We can't find any record of this karate champion you speak of. Okay. So people, don't, so people are, are basically saying either this was some poor schmuck they just dragged in from, like, the beginner's class. Yeah. Hey, anybody want to try to spar? You get to spar UFC fighter. Darren Till's here today. Why don't you get in the cage for five minutes? Yeah, because my other thing, too, is... Um, and I was actually watching an interview with uh, Dan Hardy about his opinion on it. And he, he made a good point, too. It, it could easily be... Um, if they were part of his team, maybe that's just how that camp works. They're just very brutal with each other. Because he even said, with his experience, you know, he himself never sparred that way you know and i think you and i had this conversation too yeah, yeah. um he, he respect the hell out of that guy oh yeah respect the hell out of dan hardy um you know he himself never went full power when it came to sparring but he has known camps that just go 100 percent. you know right the, and, and so yeah could this be one of those camps or situations where they just go really tough on each other to be prepared for the real situation, or is he just, or is Darren Till just a fucking asshole, just trying to be macho and? I don't know, and nobody really knows. I mean, yeah. there's certainly camps that do that. Yeah, AKA is so infamous for l- literally injuring all their champions because they train so hard. Yeah, but the big debate here, and the big thing, is um, the big point people make is just if you look at the the, the champions, like the majority of champions. They come from, they are bred from war. They're not bred from complacency. Mm-hmm. And you look at them and it's, and they were like, look at Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo was, was forged from the ghetto slums and also his camps, which were just full on wars. You look at, again, AKA is what everybody points to because you have Luke Rockhold, Daniel Cormier, Kane Velasquez, Khabib mm-hmm. Nurmagomedov, um, Josh Thompson. You have all these guys who are fucking badasses and guess what it's because they they fucking beat the shit out of each other you know i mean there's very few camps i feel like even team alpha male not that they have a shit ton of champions but there's a reason why almost every main fighter from team alpha male is a top competitor like top um contender yeah for the belt and it's because they go to war they go to war like that yeah. whole thing with cody garbrandt and tj dillashaw um getting shown with with TJ getting dropped by Cody or whatever. Like, they were going... They had no gear. They were just fucking swinging for each other. They yeah. were going for... So there's this weird... See, it's weird to me because I don't I don't train in an MMA camp, nor would I want to train in a camp or a dojo that would, that would warrant that kind of daily struggle. Not that I think it's a bad thing for everybody, just for how I look at martial arts. I don't think I need black eyes and 
missing teeth and just for training well that's just for tra- yeah well i'm not competing for a fucking championship that also is a big point right too. yeah yeah but, but i mean is it even necessary though i think it's necessary like think about it think about just our thing right so we do such a traditional martial art in aiki jiu-jitsu we still when it's like rondori time and it's still just okay full waza just oh fuck here we go like yeah there's that buckle down tighten the chin strap t- i mean not that we wear headgear but that you know tighten the tighten the laces here we're about to we're about to get dirty you know i think that's but it's good i, I like how our school does it where it's not like every friday's oh, yeah. full waza day it's like yeah. no 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 like we'll do it maybe once every two months yeah or three months it's yeah. like okay cool we're gonna we're gonna go hard today we're gonna we're gonna let it loose cool i think that's a good thing yeah every well, once in a well, while one, exactly once, every in, once a while. in a while i don't think every week or every tuesday needs to be spar day yeah or you know five round day yeah and just go at it but regardless of the training method of 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 training that hard or sparring that hard i do think well do you think that it was a little excessive on darren till's part or do you think maybe just his sparring partner was too tired Hmm. Well, it looked like his sparring partner didn't really know what the hell he was doing to begin with, though. I mean, he, well, he could have been like concussed earlier on in the oh, round. Oh, absolutely, just exactly. Because just... I mean, the only video <laughs> footage I saw was them already in the middle of it. So you're right. right. I mean, who knows how long they were even at it before, you know, Darren just went full blown on him. But um, it's you know that's really tough to answer though because again, it's like, was it? just a random person was it someone from the team you know is this like a typical thing in that training camp so and i don't know the guy too much to really determine with my opinion like is he just you know like that the one uh, just another bully in the ufc or <sighs> darren Till has a very good background he's a phenomenal striker i actually i actually wrote a small blurb about him in my most recent article about how he's one of those up-and-coming fighters in the ufc who's who's killing off the old veterans the veterans yeah he's facing off against stephen wonderboy thompson next and i think wonderboy is going to be in for a bit of a surprise i think everybody's writing off darren till saying wonderboy is too good of a striker but there's something about darren till and I didn't get too far into depth about it, but I wanted to. If you watch his style, he has this weird wide-stepping bob. Almost like a, a Conor McGregor, early Conor McGregor. Hands down a little bit. Okay. He's jumping forward and back. Almost bladed. Almost sideways. But definitely forward enough with his shoulder forward. Both shoulders facing forward. Because he likes to jump in throw a one, two, three, and either jump forward again when you retreat or jump back out and just loosen back up. And it's kind of weird because it's not like a close style, like a boxer mm-hmm. or a kickboxer, even a Muay Thai guy. It's it. I know he's a Muay Thai guy, but he doesn't look like it. He literally looks like he's doing like a shuffle, okay, like a sideways shuffle towards and from his enemy, almost like Stephen Thompson, but Stephen Thompson doesn't bounce. Stephen Thompson's very... He kind of bounces, but for the most part, he's level, waits, sets, and then he throws. Darren Till has that weird, that wide stance. And I think this is a this is a thing that we might start seeing more. I think there's something about the wide stance that encroaches upon your the gap of of your opponent without them really knowing it. You know, because when I'm closed up and I have like a normal 
normal stance, right? Like I have uh, a normal fight stance and I'm stepping forward. I'm doing a box sure. step, yep. right? It, it's a pretty concise object. I'm a pretty concise stature mm-hmm. with both kicks, knees, takedown attempts, any, anything really. But you look at anybody who's kind of got a little bit more um, ability or a little bit more f- just danger to them and you see they have any it's almost always to do with their stance you all romero he looks like he's almost in a almost in a normal position but he will quickly drop like he's gonna which is natural because he's a wrestler Mm -hmm. but he will drop hop back hop forward drop and he does this weird thing where he uses that to kind of set you to faint you but he does that to control the distance Luke okay. Rockhold has this weird southpaw wide stance as well, but he doesn't bounce. He steps heavy and wide. You have John Jones, who keeps his feet somewhat close, but his arms, in his natural stance, he keeps his arms far. He's known for having a hand up and doing eye pokes by accident because he always keeps a hand up. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have, um, I think... I'm trying to think. Um, you have, uh, well, George St. Pierre, I don't think, actually applies to this other than when he strikes. When he strikes, he has a heavy front step. It widens yes. his stance out, but it puts him so low in his jab, it's either going to be a jab or a takedown, and that's what confuses people because they don't know what the fuck he's doing in that stance. It's like, oh, my God, is that a jab stance or is that a takedown stance? And they freeze. And then pop, they get hit with a jab. Yep. Like, all right, cool. Well, I'll just throw when he, hit, when he throws that jab next time. And they throw, and then he, GSB takes him down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a lot of Conor McGregor. He was this big, wide, very similar to Darren Till. Wide stance, stepping, almost bladed, because he wants to throw that capoeira reverse heel kick, or he wants to come in and throw like a one-two, and then he switches, and then he throws that power left. Yep. It's it's about encroaching on uh, TJ Dillashaw. He switches stances. So instead of throwing a one-two-three, staying in orthodox, he'll throw a one, southpaw his two, switch back to orthodox for the three, and then he'll finish in a southpaw stance on defense. Okay. And that's how he throws while he comes at you from, like, diagonal angles the entire time. It's really weird. Dominic Cruz, same thing. Not the same as TJ Dillashaw, but very similar where he does this looping throw where he hops in on his throws, on his uh, on his punches, yep. and then he hops back into center off of like the open space. It's just super weird when you see people who are, at, who are more on the top of the dangerous list. They have something about... There's an X factor about their stance. And that's what I'm saying. The people who are not remarkable, the people who just have very basic stances and don't do anything with it. They're closed off. Hands high, feet, yep. feet underneath them. They box step and that's it. Those people aren't very... You don't see a lot of remarkable people that way. And the yeah. people that were like that, they get chewed up. I mean, I think, may, again, maybe maybe the two people... I mean, off the top of my head, two people who are complete abnormalities to this would be Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald. They both have very... Like, Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald look like boxers almost. Mm-hmm. But they just have such good head movement... And they're so good with finding with landing their uh, their hands. It almost doesn't matter. But anyways, I'm sorry again. That was a tangent. But going back, I feel like it's um, I feel like Darren Till is a lot more dangerous than people expect. And I was super shocked that a guy who was either a that tired or b that over that under experienced was put in the fucking cage against him. Yeah, that's like putting a yellow belt versus a black belt. Yeah. It's like, cool, you guys are going to do full Waza for five minutes. 
Just, what do you think is going to happen here? <laughs> just, yeah. like, do you think there's something good to happen from this? I mean, I appreciate the, I appreciate the statement, you know, about how warriors are bred from war. I get that. But, I mean, Darren Till's already a warrior. He doesn't... That That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Darren Till's already a warrior. Outside of the UFC, he's already accomplished a lot. To say he still needs to fight and, and train like that, or fight like that, he Ooh. still needs to train like that is, I think, excessive. Yeah. Ooh. Do you think maybe as soon as that he noticed the cell phone came out to start recording is when he went full-blown? Maybe it started out, you know... That's a good Just point. light sparring. Because I've, I haven't seen a full video on that sparring session. It's always just them in the middle of it and him just wailing on the other guy. <laughs> and, that, and that's it. The, the, two, the two clips and that's it. I don't know. Because, I mean, why would that guy stay for the entire training session? If you, th- you know what I mean? They paid him. I guess. But at the same time, you don't pay people who are that... Unta- and that was an argument. People kept saying, oh, this guy got paid for it. It's like, well, no. If you're that untalented or that unskilled, you're not getting paid. You bring in, pe- you pay people to come in who are skilled. Yeah. You don't pay non-skilled people. Too many theories. Yeah. Why? What do you think? I mean... Well, what's your final opinion on that whole situation? My well, my opinion is obviously the videos went out to. Uh, I I I think it was a tactical thing on the team's part for other upcoming fighters to notice that just to see what he can do. Um, but as far as that situation, I agree they shouldn't have put someone who clearly looked inexperienced in the ring with him if they were going 100% the entire time. You know, I would love to see the full video from start to finish. Right. To see if that's how it started. But right. my, my new theory is maybe as soon as that camera came out is when he went hard. He was just, oh, I'm going to show off and just beat the shit out of yeah. this guy. Yeah. That's my theory. Okay. Okay. My theory. Well, do you think wars? Are needed in uh, in the dojo. Once in a while, not every day, every other day, especially weeks before, you know, a title fight or whatever. Um, it's just wear and tear. Yeah, you're in, in certain aspects, you're conditioning the body, but at the same time, you're breaking parts of it down by doing extreme shit like that. You know. Um, so yeah, once in a while, absolutely. Remember, just to get the feel for it. Do you remember the amount of times Aldo canceled fights because he got injured in camp? Oh yeah, broken ribs, yeah, like, knees. That's a great example legs. right there. Yep. You know, and we're talking about a champion at the time. That's what happened with the first Aldo McGregor fight. Remember, yeah. Aldo had to call fall, uh, he had to call out for the first fight because he broke his ribs in training. Took yeah. a kick. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Now, I mean, and as a defending champion too, it's like. I get it. Should you be on top of your game even more than the contender? Because there's the whole, there's two ways of looking at it. It's like, all right, now that you're the champion, you have to worry about defending your title while the other guy's, you know, hungry. He wants that title. Yeah. So I get it. You're both training hard, but yeah, I mean, again, how hard? How hard? Yeah. So speaking of hard and speaking of wars, 
so if you're just joining us raw into this podcast and not a you're not a a migrant from the enough about you podcast where we first started um mikey and i just quick background we're friends who've always uh watched martial arts together and well trained martial arts together and uh watched ufc's for fun together and we've always had the conversations you're hearing now pretty much while watching fights <laughs> during fights yeah. during fights yeah so we've always kind of done this so this is just the, what we like to do but we were into ufc for quite some time yeah and i remember i think i'm pretty sure we watched chuck liddell fight but yeah yeah we've seen a few of his fights actually we've seen a few near the end but we saw some few yeah we saw a few and i say that because i don't know if you heard this but just recently chuck liddell stated he wants to come back uh, and he said he's ready to go, and he wants two warm-up fights, and then he wants to fight John Jones. Okay, was he <laughs> under the influence by any chance? Nope, he went on the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani, and Ariel said something along the lines of, so what are you up to? Like, what do you have planned going forward? And he just said, well, you know what? I'm planning to get back in the fight game. And Ariel was like, excuse me? How old is he? <laughs> I think he's in his 40s, mid-40s. Mid-40s, okay, well... In his defense, let's talk about Randy Couture when he came out of retirement at, what, 43, 44? Randy Couture is, yes. And was on, what, a six-win stri- six streak? Yes. You know, and then lost it again. I mean, I guess it really depends on the person. I guess some people ha- still have... Bills to pay? Well, that, but I mean, I guess that, like, that youth, that, like prime i guess well deep down inside maybe you know when they go and retire the first time maybe it's because they just truly needed well, a break chuck liddell went retired because dana white told him look your chin's gone it's time to go yeah and everybody kept telling him it's time you're you got knocked out again you're done your chin's gone you're gonna get brain damage he was like yeah you guys are right now do you think they would take him back <laughs> The UFC? I mean, think about it. I mean, uh, it's Chuck Liddell. Not that I'm agreeing with him coming back, but as with- far as sales go, pay-per-view, to just to see, just to witness what it would be like to watch well, Chuck Liddell. Yeah. Bellator is known for signing the older guys who want to keep fighting Chael Sonnen, Rampage. You, oh, you think he'll, like he'll just go with someone else? I think he'll just go to Bellator. Okay. I think, well, he used to work for the UFC before UFC got sold by Zufa or got sold by uh, the Fertitta brothers. Um, oh, my God. I don't want to see him fight. I don't want to fucking see GSP fight. Yeah. But I, don't I mean, wanna... GSP wasn't bad, though. No, G- being rusty. GSP was great. I still don't want to. He's what you won two belts. <laughs> you were undefeated for how many years? Yeah. You're done. Just stop. We don't need this. We know yeah. you're great. Yeah. We know you're probably the best fighter of all time. Please just save your brain. We want you to be around. <laughs> we want you to be around as an ambassador for martial arts. Please. Yeah, there's a lot of good guys now. Oh, did you hear rumors about... Oh, well, I'll touch rumors on GSP after this. To answer your question, I, I personally think he goes to Bellator. I don't think UFC will sign him. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I think out of Trail Sonnen, Rampage Tracks, all those, all the old vets, uh, Fedor, I wouldn't be surprised if UFC signed Chuck because he's the most pop. He's the 
he's the most reasonable choice to sign to the UFC as an older veteran, like old retire, not even veteran, a retiree, a UFC a MMA retiree. Mm. And I mean, they fucking signed CM Punk, so I mean, I could totally see that. But I don't want to. I mean, first of all, he's gonna have to if he wants to face John Jones. Actually, what's going on with his situation? John Jones? Yeah. Um, he popped hot for his PEDs test. Uh, he had a hearing, and I think they're currently figuring out his punishment. I think it's going to be anywhere between two to four years. Okay. Nick Diaz is back. About time. His uh, suspension's up. So Nick Diaz technically is allowed to come back, but I don't think he's in a rush. Uh, so they don't have anything planned for him yet then? No, there's rumors about, about doing something with Nick Diaz, but Nick Diaz is just like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Like, pay me the money, give me the fight I want. If not, then fuck you. I haven't fought in like two years. I'll keep not fighting. Whatever. But, um, he, okay. Hypothetically, Chuck Liddell comes back to the UFC. He fights two fights. Mm-hmm. He wins both fights. Do you give him the fight that both him and John Jones want? Which is him versus John Jones. It's because I don't know if you know this. They've been they've been talking shit. Where a while ago, Ooh, Chuck okay. Liddell said in an interview, "Oh, I I would totally beat John Jones in my prime, easy. I would knock him out." Oh, in his prime, in his he prime. made that specific. And okay. then John Jones was just like, "Thanks, man. Like you're you're an icon. You know that's <laughs> nice that you say that." And then he kept saying it. And then John started being like, "Okay, buddy." <laughs> Let's cool it with that with that shit talk. And then finally, when Chuck said, I'm coming back, I want two fights than John Jones, Joe, uh, John Jones like tweeted directly at him and was saying, hey, old man, if you want to fight, I'm here in New Mexico. I'll fly you down on, my, on a jet right now. I'll pay for it. My dime. Let's get it on then. Just <laughs> if you want to catch this ass whooping, come yeah. on down right now. Yeah. <laughs> so do you give him John Jones? Well, before you even get into that, answer your own question. Do you think he signs with the UFC? Yeah. Maybe as a temp. I would say I'd say it'd be a hot selling pay-per-view. Is it gonna be an entertaining fight? Maybe an ass kicking on his part? You know what I mean? But I mean it's Chuck Liddell, hands down. Whether no matter how old the guy is, what shape he's in, I mean it's just one of those He's a UFC legend. Exactly. And that's what sells, you know. It's all business. Oh now, it oh like God. I said, if it was like a oh, one-time temporary fight, you know, like hey, here, you know, I'm here for one time, bring it on. I could see that. I think John jo- John Jones would fuck him up. Oh, without a doubt. Just but it'll be one hell of a fucking pay-per-view. I think Chuck Liddell would swing. John Jones would just step out of the way. Yeah. And then just line up whatever he wanted. Just, I'm going to kick the shit out of you. And then, yeah, no. It sure. Would just, it would just be, I wouldn't want to see that. I wouldn't want to see Chuck Liddell <laughs> get brutalized by John Jones. Did you hear about Kobe Covington and Joe Rogan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what did he make a comment about? He was going to slap Joe Rogan or something like yeah, that? Yeah, so Colby, Colby Covington, speaking of John Jones again, Colby Covington was talking <laughs> shit about John Jones, like just insulting him because he failed right. his test. And John, and Joe Rogan said on a podcast on one of his episodes, he he was saying, Colby, don't, you got to be careful what you say, man, because you might actually run into John Jones. He's still an active fighter. 
if you run into him, he he will slap the shit out of you. He's John Bones, motherfucking Jones. Yeah, he's absolutely he's a just, monster. Just a friendly warning. He yeah he. So Kobe said Joe Rogan better watch his fucking mouth. Or I'll slap the shit out of him the next time I see him. <laughs> so Joe, then, then Joe Rogan goes, Kobe, please don't slap me. Don't slap Just, me, please. <laughs> please don't slap me. I, and here's the funny thing: people immediately started saying like, "Yo, could Joe take on Kobe Covington?" <laughs> Just, <laughs> yo, he's. He's he's a black belt with Eddie Bravo in Tenth Planet Jiu Jitsu. He's yeah. a black. He's like what a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Taekwondo. He fought competitively in Taekwondo. He studies martial arts. He's he. Joe, Joe Rogan has openly admitted the amount of drugs he takes, performance enhancing drugs he takes. <laughs> <laughs> so people are all just, yo, could he take Colby? Could he take Colby? <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that people have always wanted to see Joe Rogan fight. Yeah. Yeah, I've only seen that one video of him uh, from the 80s where he knocked out someone in a Taekwondo competition. Oh, a kick, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've seen training videos of him uh, just hitting mats or whatever. Like, holy shit. <laughs> have, you heard, like, have you heard yes. the sound of his oh, yeah. kicks? His sidekick? Oh, my God. <gasps> and it just hits it's like the, a whip. Like, yeah. not even. And it hits like a, like a truck. Yeah. Like the pad looks like it's about to it's break. Amazing. Oh, it's, it's insane. Like that video where he's teaching GSP how to sidekick. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Oh God, that's uh, no, that's crazy. Imagine hitting a body with that. That's yeah. That's insane. That's insane. But that's uh, <laughs> anyways, I I want to see CM Punk win because I want to see a guy. I want to see that guy come out on top for something because I think if he gets one win, he'd just be like, I'm done. Okay. That'd be it. I'm done. He's like forty. Or whatever, yeah. like late thirties, and he's just I've been doing this for two years, three years. I just wanted to compete and prove to myself I could do it and win. I did it. I'm done. Thanks, guys. I I would be happy to see that. Actually, I'm not even really that familiar with him. Like, what's what are his CM stats Punk? Up? Yeah, you know, did you, do you know where he's from? Well, I know he's from wrestling. Yeah, yeah. No, that no, that I get. He he did the transition. Um, yeah, no, he's zero and one. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> he lost to Mickey Gall in the first like thirty seconds. Oh, all right. Well. Came out through a punch, blocked, got taken down, and then I think he got uh, choked out, or it was an armbar. But yeah, submitted okay. pretty quick. Hmm. <laughs> Zero and one. And wait, so he's been on for two or three years, and he hasn't had anything since. Well, it's because when he first came on, he was he was. He literally just started training martial arts, and he was saying, "I'm going to fight in the UFC." Oh, I thought he. I assumed he had some sort of like background already. I would have assumed nope. wrestling as one. Nope. Uh, really? Nope. He went from oh, I tried out jujitsu a couple times to so now I'm just on with the UFC. He joined Duke Rufus's camp, Rufus Sport, with uh, Anthony Pettis. Oh, so now Tyron how do you Lee. how do you feel about the UFC for them making that move? Then that's a money move. It's entertaining. I want to see it. So okay. I'm not complaining, but I could see why purists are upset, being all like, fucking, meh, he has no amateur record, and blah, 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 he's just a name, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I could see that. I understand it. Yeah. But it's cool to see that experiment. It's really cool to see that experiment of somebody who's never done martial arts, throw them in a professional camp with one of the best striking coaches in the game. Let's see what they do. Let's see how well they can do um, with, like, five days a week training for two years, three years. Let's see what they can mm-hmm. do. Um. I mean, that's, I think it's, I, you know, what's really cool about that? I think it shows how bad McDojos are. For those who don't know, McDojos are dojos that just hand out belts. 
Yeah. You become a black belt in three years. Yep. Not even. And it's kind of a laughing stock among a lot of, I don't want to say real arts or dojos, but it's kind of like you got to earn the, your rank if you mm-hmm. care about that. You know, like you got to like make sure you have a school and a teacher that understands that that system. And yeah. it's 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 kind of like a laughing stock to be like, oh, you're a black belt. How long did it take you to get your black belt? Like it took me a year. I'm a, I got black belt a year. I'm so good. Okay, cool. Nobody really tested it because nobody wants to actually fight because fighting sucks. But yeah. you saw that of just, I mean, not that that's what CM Punk said, but you saw what happened when somebody who went through intensive professional training in martial arts mm-hmm. to see how well they could do and they did not do well. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was really upsetting. I was hoping he would put up a good fight. I, I, I was, I'm rooting for him. He's yeah. the underdog. I'm rooting for him. Just nothing. Just nothing. Oh man. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's uh, let's do it this way. I wanted to talk about. Uh, we'll save it for next time because it's getting late. But I wanted to talk about traditional martial arts in film. Oh, okay. Between the old kung fu movies to like the more modern, like uh, Taken and Jack Reacher kind of movies, where martial arts kind of get shown, versus like the goofy martial arts like in Avengers or in Marvel movies where like a punch sends somebody flying or. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, or really slow, deliberate kicks and wide punches. Uh, something that shows an actual understanding of art on some level. Oh, I could go on and on about that. Yeah. Well, that'll be that'll be a good starting point for the next episode. Absolutely. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the first real official Takedown to Breakdown episode. Yeah. Um, please tune in next time. And if you feel like uh, if you feel like getting involved, go ahead and go to Takedowns to breakdowns.wordpress.com to read up on some uh, some things and we hope you tune in next time peace guys